You can't do that again. What? What did I do? My son is not your lookout. He's not your accomplice, no, and I don't... No, he's just a neighbor. It doesn't matter. Don't forget what's going on here. Not for a second. Now, I see the way he looks at you. What he wants. That encouragement pat on his shoulder. And I want it for him. But not for that. I can't promise what's going to show up at the door. I know. Okay, then. Welcome to part two of our Labor Day episode. But before we go into real talk, it's time for PP, our patron pitch. This is where we let our patrons know what they can expect on their exclusive patron feed. And we also let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. Uh, Alex, this is the month of February, starting in uh, February. Uh, if you are on the ground floor, on the Travolti's tier, uh, you're going to get all the stuff that uh, we cut out of uh, this Labor Day edit, which might be quite a bit. And, and we haven't even started on Real Talk uh, because there, were, there was a lot of back and forth about certain parts of the plot that we weren't sure about. Uh, so you get all that in our cutting room floor segments. And this month's bonus episode, courtesy of Brandon Curtis, is, surprise, surprise, an Indian movie. Uh, Alex, I don't know if I'm going to be saying this correctly, but it's Virata Parvam. Does that sound right? Better than I could have done. It's, uh, it's on Netflix. It's two and a half hours. <laughs> and uh, that's about all I know. Uh, did you do any sort of research on it before you picked it because this is this is you we had seven options and you said let's do this one uh it was mainly out of the options we were given it was the one on netflix and it was like uh easily accessible for both of us and i isn't it new ish i think uh i don't know i just i i mean i looked at like the plot synopsis of all of them and uh i just thought that one could potentially be the one uh, we get the most out of watching together so I'll, I trust your judgment. I just know that none of them start Singham, so no, it could be sadly. anything. sadly. <laughs> Still waiting yeah. for Singham 3. Yeah. Yeah, that, that might be a, a theater trip down the line. Uh, now, if you are on the next year up, the Winonis, and any tier upwards, uh, we have your QVRs. You know, for this month, I'm still in the process of figuring that out because uh, it's Ryan's turn to pick, and I I sent him a message about it uh, a little too late, so I haven't gotten his his picks back. But since it took us a while to do the picks for last month, I just reiterate that uh, from the aforementioned Brandon Curtis, we'll be doing uh, Kaithi, that's Alex's QVR, and I'll be doing Master. Uh, Master is a three-hour movie. I think it was the longest out of all the options he gave us, and. Uh, that's fine. I mean, I can I can take that bullet if it, it could pay off. It might be my next favorite Indian movie after uh, Singham. <laughs> we'll see. Now, as far as Kaithi, Alex, did you just like how the name sounded? Might have been one of the shorter ones, honestly. <laughs> no, I can't. I can't tell you any of them now. But I remember going through the whole list and reading all the plot synopsis and being like, "Which of these sounds the most interesting to me?" Yeah. Well. It's uh, We all win because Alex will watch it and then he'll tell us about it on his video and it will take a fraction of the amount of time that it would take to watch the actual movie. Uh, and then, of course, you have Contrarians After Hours. 
that's the spin-off show where we tell you a little bit of uh, what else we've been watching, reading, playing, listening to, thinking about. Uh, Alex, what are you bringing to Contreras After Hours this time? Well, Julio, I finished Dead to Me this week, the third season of it, which means I am done with it because it is not coming back for a fourth. So I know you mean to watch it someday, so I'll try to keep it fairly spoiler-friendly uh, and for any of our patrons or potential patrons, uh, just kind of give a recap of the last season and also just my general thoughts on the show uh, on the whole and how we as a people do not utilize Linda Cardellini nearly enough. <laughs> Does it have a, a, an ending or was it just... Like, you know what I mean? Like, does he have an actual finale to the story or is yeah, it one of those? Yeah, where... so it's a lot like Undeclared because uh, I always say Undeclared was a show that like there was clearly places to go. But the way the series ended before it knew it was being canceled uh, is a nice way to end it. And that's kind of similar to this. There was clearly some directions they could have gone, but you could also argue that like it was wrapped up tidily. Okay. Good, because <laughs> I would hate to to watch three seasons and then not get a you know some sort of resolution, a closure. On my end, uh, I went back to movie theaters, Alex, because I wanted to see what was this uh, Darren Aronofsky movie that everybody's talking about, mainly because of Brendan Fraser's performance. So I watched The Whale. Went to the last showtime on Sunday night, and uh, I'll tell you about it. I'll I'll give you a, my the headline is Fraser kills it. That's and then I'll elaborate uh, in after hours. But uh, yeah, I watched the whale and then I, I caved in to peer pressure and I watched the Northman. Even though after the witch and after uh, the lighthouse, which we did an episode on, I said you know what Robert Eggers not not my thing. His movies are not for me. Uh, but he did The Northman this past year. A lot of people told me that it was worth watching, that even if I hadn't liked his previous two movies, this one uh, would probably be the one for me. Uh, and then our friend Gerald had it nominated as one of the best action movies of 2022 on his uh, Golden Peace Award. So, okay, I'll watch The Northman, and I'll tell you what happened after I watched this on Amazon Prime. It's two hours and 20 minutes, I think. And... Well, that's all I'm gonna say here. <laughs> you wanna, if you wanna see if I change my mind about Robert Eggers, uh, check out the After Hours. I'll tell you about that. I'll tell you about the whale, and Alex will tell us about Dead to Me. That's your After Hours for this installment. Uh, and also, I mentioned it before. If you are on the Patreon page, you get to see what the other patrons are saying. Uh, you know, I I like that we have a little community there that comments on almost every single thing we post, such as our friend Ben Murray confessing that he is the proud owner of several of those uh, uh, serial killer movies that uh, you mentioned in an after hours a while ago, or maybe it was an. Oh, that's awesome! Floor. Yeah, I guess you have a kindred soul. It shouldn't surprise me since you both like Halloween ends and Halloween uh, kills. Uh, but that is uh, just a little bit of what you can find on our Patreon channel. If any of that sounds interesting, check out patreon.com slash Prime. Visit the Contrarian Supplements and see if you'd like to join our little family there. Yes, $1, $3, $5, and $10, our respective tiers. Drop us four quarters. And I'm sure it comes out to like $1.07 with tax, but I mean, come on. The hell are you going to buy for a dollar or seven? Especially anything with the uh, work ethic that goes into it that our patron page does. So head on over, check it out. 
uh, just get it on the ground floor and take a look around. And then from there, you can read over, you know, what you get with the higher tiers and whatnot. Uh, we got a whole lot of offerings there. And uh, we have a, a upcoming project uh, in the works that'll be a patron exclusive series. Um, so really excited to get that started for y'all. For our current patrons, we love y'all dearly. Uh, y'all know that, unless I like to say we are taking applications now and forever for new ones. So uh, head on over, check it out, subscribe, and let us know what you think. Now, Alex, uh, I was going to say, let's go bake a pie. But no, it's like the pie has already been baked. And now we're about to uh, give our impressions on the pie. Help me put a roof on this house. Important question. Do you put whipped cream on pie? It depends on what kind of pie it is. Pecan pie. Yes. Peach pie. Peach would be uh, vanilla ice cream. Ah, okay. Well, they did neither of those things on Labor Day. <laughs> Couldn't afford it or some shit. <laughs> and the the outtake was he poured coffee on it. <laughs> uh, what a movie. This was, uh, it was what I remembered, but, but a lot more of it. Yeah, it's, um, it's something. It's uh, a movie that I said aloud at least six or seven times by the end. What the fuck is this? Um, so <laughs> there's that. Uh, I guess before we just launch full board into it, before I take you hostage and we just sit at home for three days, Julio. <laughs> 34%. So it wasn't without its share of uh, supporters. And my God, with this cast and, you know, the the driving force behind it, you would think you would get something better than this, but those that liked it, what did they say? Well, uh, we're going to start this, this set of fresh quotes with Richard Probes from the independentcritic.com who says, my gut tells me that Reitman has pretty much made exactly the film he wanted. Uh, I, I think he's right. I mean, after you make Juno up in the air and even Young Adult, which wasn't this big hit that the other were. Oh, and thank you for smoking. I mean, after that, you kind of get... I feel like you have enough clout to do whatever you want with your movie. Am I overestimating Jason Reitman's power when it comes to, at least at this point in time? I don't, oh man, because this movie is shot well and it looks really good. So it's not like, and obviously Jason Reitman's uh, work ranges from good to great. So he knows what he's doing. Uh, Yeah, I think. I think this movie wanted to be like the most literal interpretation of like a grocery store aisle romance novel ever. And I think it kind of achieved that. You know, it's like uh, how you hate the term elevated horror. Maybe Reitman wanted to do elevated romance. (laughs) Who knows, man? I'll tell Uh, you what, I would watch this again before I watched uh, Midsummer. Uh, all right, next, Asia Frey from Latniapi, Mobile, Alabama, says, Kate Winslet can't really do any wrong from an acting standpoint, and this was no exception. Agree, disagree? Uh, somewhere in between on that one. The jury's not yeah. out yet. <laughs> uh, Mel Campbell from Junkie says, The fantasy it presents is easy to mock, but delicious all the same. <laughs> I like and that the pie review. delicious. Yeah. The chili looked good. I don't know about the coffee, but it looked like good chili. 
He looked yeah. like he had made that chili a bunch of times and knew how to do it right. Yeah, yeah. He knew how to feed it to how to feed it to a person without making a mess. Well, I mean, you can't afford to make messes in prison, man. <laughs> I was about to say that's one of the skills that he picked up. <laughs> well, he was in the clink. Um, all right, let's close with Henry Fitzerbert from Daily Express UK, who says, "Go with the flow and give in like Adele herself, and you might be genuinely moved." So he's arguing. He's like, "Don't overthink it. <laughs> just, just accept the fact that." These are pretty people having a love story happen to them. I had a hard time doing that. <laughs> yeah. I I don't know, man. Is it just as, as simple as us not being the the audience for this type of story? Who is? White women. That's like the <laughs> the audience. I mean, you're not necessarily wrong. I, I think that the the I, the comparison to romance novels and okay well i mean in all fairness i've never read one but i know what the stereotype is like right and and it can't be too far off from the truth <laughs> because i've seen people i've heard people that actually read those novels uh agree with the stereotype acknowledge yeah this is trashy but i have a good time you know it's this rich woman falls in love with the gardener and you know it's like i don't know 200 pages of that uh, and here is a traumatized woman falls in love with a convict that's on the run, takes her hostage. And then you just go on for 200 pages. Uh, that was the main thing. As, as I was watching it, it just felt so ludicrous. <laughs> like I couldn't believe that this was... That, that Jason Reitman had put in his talent and not just him that Kate Winslet and Josh Rowland uh, had committed to this type of uh, project because it just I mean no disrespect to people that enjoy the, the romance novels but this seems this type of material seems beneath the talent <laughs> that's involved in it that's involved in the movie what um for Winslet and Brolin, what do you think when they look over the script, or do you think the leading like uh, reason for taking something like this is to work with Jason Reitman? That that was going to be my guess. That Reitman was on a hot streak, and again, this is acknowledging that young adult did not do well in the sense of uh, you know when compared to his first three. Young Adult, from what I remember, it got mixed reviews, or at least the the reviews, the critical reception was not as positive as it had been with Juno and Up in the Air and Thank You for Smoking. But instead of bouncing back, <laughs> he just did this. And, but still, even then, I mean, Young Adult, it's it's when you put it together with the other three, I mean, that quartet of movies, I can totally understand why somebody would just go, yeah, what what is Jason Reitman's next movie? I'm in. Sign me up. Uh, oh, and you got, you know, the other person signed in. You know, Brolin hears that Kate Winslet is involved. The Winslet hears that Josh Brolin is involved. And that has to be an incentive. And they know they're going to get to be at least in one scene with Jacob Simmons. So <laughs> that's even better. Yeah, because at this point, it's not like, you know, the aforementioned Dahmer with Jeremy Renner. Like, it was like they're starting off their career and, like, just doing shit. It's, you know... They were fucking Kate Winslet and Josh Brolin at this point. So like reading the script and like thinking I can make something of this, I can make it better. 
uh, or it's just like, look at all these other people that are signed on. It's especially strange with Kate Winslet because, you know, Josh Brolin's done a lot of movies, some good, some bad, that type of thing. But Kate Winslet's like this very respected actress and like auteur of her time uh, and gives like this really genuine performance in this that's, you know, she's good. It's just the character's so ludicrous and the story's so fucking dumb that it, it's hard not to laugh at this, and that's the last thing I want to do because I know how good the people involved are. And, you know, Up in the Air is one of my favorite movies of the, the mm-hmm. last 15 years or so. And Juno's well-directed. You know, a lot of the issues we had with that are <laughs> come from the screenplay perspective. Um, so everyone involved has the skills. It's just like, it's not even a movie I watch and go, what went wrong? It's a movie I watch and go, like, how slash why did this begin? <laughs> did you see what uh, what was Kate Winslet's other movie in 2013? What was it? Movie 43. <laughs> there you go. Hell of a year for Miss Winslet. Yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> that was a problematic year. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it, it could also be that maybe uh, Winslet and, and Brolin, like romance novels are their guilty pleasure. They just... You know, they get it. They got it. They read the script. I'm like, oh yeah, this is just like one of those things that you read at the airport. You know that from the beginning. Okay, so th- there is one part that just really bothers me, and, and that is the the constant uh, like having the point of view of the kid, because the movie kind of goes through th- this. We we made fun of it in Contrast Corner, but just the idea that he's hidden puberty, and so he is, I guess discovering his relationship with sex in a way and the fact that this awakening happens at the same time that his mother falls in love with a convict and rediscovers her own sexuality yeah like that's trashy (laughs) very at the time i was too young to understand the part of being husband for a day i was not equipped to carry out but i sensed my own terrible inadequacy I could feel her loneliness and longing before I had a name for it. I, I mean, I'm sure there's a there's a very like uh, artsy, mature way of handling that kind of story, but it, not the way that is handled here, which is just you know, this is just uh, I don't know. This somebody's like fantasy. And that's fine. Like, you know, if your kink is that a convict that looks like James Rowling is gonna like take you hostage and then you two are going to fall in love. Uh, I mean, that's fine, you know, That, but but it just looks so silly. And you're right. I think it's even worse because they're really good actors. So they, they commit to it. It's uh, They're giving good performances. I mean, Kate Winslet, uh, I, I can agree with that quote. I don't know that she never misses, but I don't think that, that her performance is bad here. I think that as a frazzled woman, especially once we learn why she is the way she is, I think that the performance holds. Uh, same thing for Brolin. Like, Brolin is acting like, a, you know, an ex-con. Llewellyn that, Moss. <laughs> yes. Is, is Llewellyn uh, an ex-con in The Country for Old Men? He's just a cowboy. I couldn't believe he didn't make that. Like, when he showed up, I'm like, he just fucking walked off the set of No Country for Old Men. I was not getting Guterres Corner. At this point, there is a persona to James Brolin that is kind of like what he embodies here. That the the macho dude. Uh, you know, because I'm thinking, did you have you seen Sicario? No. 
That's fairly recent, right? Uh, yeah, probably 10 years or so. So Villeneuve, he did that after Prisoners, maybe even after Arrival. I'm not sure. But he's, I mean, it's, it's somewhat recent. It's uh, before he was Cable or Thanos. He was, uh, he's like, I think he's an FBI agent or CIA agent, CIA agent in the, in the movie. And like appearance wise, he's different, but the, the swagger, the confidence, like it's there. And so generally when I think James Brolin, I think of that, I think of that confidence and, uh, so that's what I saw when he came in. I was like, of course, he comes in and he's telling everybody what's what. Uh, the hair the, with, the, with the bangs, you know, I think I, one of my notes is that he's he's rocking the extreme Joey with just the hair falling on strands in front of his face. But he's good, you know, the, the, even the kid, you know, me and, and child actors, I think the kid is fine. Like, he never bothered me, you know, it's... <laughs> It's the story and the storytelling, but not the performances. It's kind of a shame that the, you have these really good actors going to waste in this story. Yeah, and then like it's compounded with just the randomness of like fucking Tobey Maguire narrating it and James Vanderbeek showing up. And again, it's shot very well. Like that's one of the things I can't take away from it. Like the the cooking scenes with the overhead shots. That's you know, that's very cliche, but it looks really good. And uh, the lighting is really exceptional in some scenes. But then the story is just so fucking dumb. It's like the exact opposite of uh, Love and Other Drugs, which much like this movie, kind of the advertising material didn't give the whole story. Um. But when I saw Love and Other Drugs, I was like, oh, shit, this is like heavy and it made the movie better. I think that's a really solid movie. I, th- I don't think it's great, but I think it's a solid movie. With this, I, I just thought it was going to be some melodrama romance with Kate Winslet and Josh Brolin. And it is. But then you find out like the story. You're like, what the fuck? You're like, why? And then at the end, she just gets progressively dumber and dumber. Like she doesn't know how to talk to people by the end. And then she like gives herself up for aiding and abetting. Just, like <laughs> what does she think is going to happen? They're going to release them. Like it's just. I like pro wrestling and I like, um, <laughs> you know, some people would say like X-Men is ludicrous because because it is. Um, but. I don't mean to make fun of the audience that this is for, but they probably lap it up. When the movie was over, I could hear like I was in a theater and I could hear sniffling from, you know, people around it. Like, like, <laughs> like the, uh, you know, they, oh, they ended up together. They walked off together. For the audience, this is for, and it's obviously not a big one because this movie barely recouped its budget. This is like catnip. Um, it's not challenging at all, and it gives you what you want out of these insane stories. You know, and some people would say this is really no different than Twilight in terms of just like ridiculous uh, romance novel horseshit, which obviously we would disagree with. But with this, it's just like Twilight is vampires and stuff. So I'm I can stretch my imagination a bit further. This the plot of it is just so there is no movie. It's like, why is this happening? And if she truly is falling in love with this person, just this woman's really fucked up because this guy's holding her hostage and then not even thinking about how badly this is going to affect her son. But it's okay because he grows up to open his own bakery. It's. <laughs> I, I think the worst part. The worst part is just how the movie works so hard to make Josh Brolin this sort of Prince Charming. Uh, you know, it's like he's there and. The second day, he's like mopping the floor and changing the oil in the car. 
Why? In what reality does that happen? It is you absurd know, I, that they like they show that he literally kidnaps these people and is wanted for murder, and then you know, next day Kate Winslet has flowers in her hair trying to impress him. And yeah, he's like helping out. He's just an any man. It's you can uh, you can tell the story this wants to tell without the fucking Stockholm syndrome part of it. Yeah, I think that it it would feel more honest. I guess I would be more likely to buy the romance if these people felt like real people. If he is really somebody that's desperate to get out and desperate to escape and, and whatever, and and if you have to keep him in that farm, uh, you know you contrive the plot contrives to keep him in that farm, but you don't make him this. Uh, super ideal guy that she would fall for because you know other than the the brief moments where he <laughs> he gets all rough with them uh he's like perfectly made for that situation that Kate Winslet is in right like he's the perfect replacement even an improvement on Clark Gregg's uh absent father character so he he shows up and he plays sports with the kid he plays sports with her friend's kid he he can bake he appreciates her for what she is, and uh, he teaches uh, Henry about life. What the hell? Why can't you just make him a, 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 you know, a real person, somebody that's desperate to to escape? And then if you somehow make them fall in love in that extreme situation, then that would be, uh, you know, more interesting, more rewarding. Uh, it's not a love but story, no. but like kind of what you're explaining about the kid, like finding this father type figure, fucking sling blade. Like that's, those yep. are real people in that movie. And yeah, this is, again, I, I don't think there's anyone listening to this and any of our regular listeners that really this type of movie is their shit. Uh, so if it is, I apologize, but it's just like this. I find this stuff to sometimes be lowest common denominator. And, you know, it is a movie. Uh, and so in one way, I'm glad it ends the way it does. I had just completely the, the lunacy of her waiting for him uh, because it is a movie, but it's not a good one. And the holes start to present themselves like immediately. And then the whole idea of like, why do we spend so much time with the dad and him trying to kind of repair the relationship? And then at the end, when he admits the whole thing of why he left his mom to his son, it's like he does that to try to like kind of make amends with them. And it's like, that would just to me show that you're just a piece of shit, man. Uh, or at least you were because he tells him and he kind of is like, yeah, you know, whatever. And it's like, you know, <laughs> if he had used that scene to really, what's that actor's name? Clark Gregg. Clark Gregg. If he had used that to really express like, you know, I did the right thing for me in my life with that, but I really regret like leaving her in, the, in a ditch like that, leaving her in the lurch. But no, it's just kind of like, he's like, yeah, I skipped out of your mom. That was crazy. Anyway, I'm gonna go get the check. Let's just. <laughs> I, I think it's supposed to help you justify her her behavior throughout the movie, because he he goes on about how she she doesn't just love, but she loves the idea of love, right? In a way, kind of painting Kate Winslet maybe as the kind of person that would just eat up those romance novels. Yes, and so that's why she in a way, becomes the protagonist of one because that's how her mind works. And for her, in a way, maybe it's just incredibly romantic that this guy would come in and make her food and, and 
take an interest in her son uh, and she'd be you know she would look past the fact that he's he, he's an escaped convict but one it would be nice i guess it's telling that the movie feels the need to have that scene at the end it's almost like reitman saying yeah <laughs> i need somebody to kind of tell the audience that we knew what we we're doing all along that it's not that she was uh, you know that character makes sense this is a justification uh, to me, it would be more interesting if you just justify it in the sense that she was uh, falling apart, you know, mentally because of everything that she'd gone through. And then she becomes obsessed with this uh, dominant figure that comes in to her life uh, through very unusual, violent circumstances. But of course, that it, then you have a very different movie because you have a much darker movie <laughs> that is not really going to be... Uh, uh, celebrated as a romance, but more of as a, you know, a psychological thriller and a, just a really depressing drama. But this woman that's just drowning, and then she holds on to <laughs> this ex-convict for dear life just to, just to make it through. Uh, that's not what this movie is. <laughs> yeah, that speech at the end can be viewed as very like self-referential or kind of. I I don't know the husbands or you know the significant others in the crowd that weren't into it and went to see it, you know, for their girlfriend, boyfriend, spouse, whatever. And they are like, this is so fucking dumb. And then in that scene, they're like, oh, I see. <laughs> yeah. At the end of the uh, the Clark Gregg speech, every husband just reach over and squeeze the wife's hand. And I get through, it. I get it, honey. Fighting through, cr- <laughs> fighting through cracked voice and uh, blinking back tears. They said, that's the chainsaw. <laughs> Got home and baked, uh, baked their wives a pie. Help me put a roof on this house. God, if I had a girlfriend right now, or you know, was dating somebody, and they had watched that with me, I would definitely say that the next time we had sex. What is that he says when they're doing the when they're making the crust? Um, he said, "You want to keep it moist. You want it to crumble, but not crumble too much." Yeah, and then that is like. He should have turned to Hank and be like, you know, just like a woman's vagina, because that's basically what they're talking about. <laughs> you bite your lip when you so. Trying not to stick you. Boy, 2013 was a strange year for one uh, Mr. Brolin. He uh, had Labor Day the Spike Lee old boy remake and gangster squad. Oh my God. And, and, you know, I like those two movies, but I know that they were, they were not critically, uh, they were, they didn't do well with critics or with crowds. Really? I thought gangster squad did okay at the box office. It made a hundred million dollars. Again, I want that money. It made a hundred million, but its budget was over 75. So it's like, Mm. Uh, aren't you the psychopath that prefers that old boy to the original? Oh, yeah. The the, the original old boy sucks. <laughs> that was Julio that said that, not me. <laughs> I've, I've voiced that opinion everywhere, so I don't think that that comes as a surprise to any of our listeners. And if it does, well, I'm sorry, but it's true. It just, uh, I mean, Spike Lee's old boy is not a great movie, 
but it benefits from the comparison to the original because it just seems so much more toned down and controlled. The the original boy and Alex isn't that movie like three hours? How do you uh, like it? It's, it's <laughs> only two it hours. <laughs> Feels I've like it was super long. I only see like twice, uh, but I remember being like, "Oh, that was awesome." Anyway, a strange year for Mr. Brolin. And uh, how far off was he from joining the evil empire? Twenty uh, fifteen, so just two years away. Or no, wait, he's in Guardians of the Galaxy, which came out in twenty fourteen. So there you go. I mean, at the very end, I think. I don't remember. I saw it once. I remember it was cute. <laughs> so in twenty twenty one, he had a movie called Flag Day. Brolin, uh, yeah. Directed by and starring Sean Penn and his daughter, Dylan Penn. My point is, we need to start getting Josh Brolin in movies that are something day. We have (laughs) Flag Day, Labor Day. He needs to make up for Labor Day with much better day movies. Man. Is there a Father's Day? There has to be. I know there's a Mother's Day, but... Father's Day, a 1997 American comedy film directed by Ivan Reitman uh, and starring Robin Williams, Billy Crystal, Julie Louis-Dreyfus. Oh, and, yeah. yeah. They, they don't know who's the father. They go looking for the kid. Yeah, it's, it's one of those. Okay, now I was thinking of one of those ensemble comedies that, that we love so much here on this show. Oh, yeah. I went, you know, brawling is one of the leads, but you can just throw in any number of uh, middle-aged actors that are also fathers. But Sean Penn there, whatever. Has has Kate Winslet done like a very prototypical romantic comedy? Like I know people is the holiday. That was going to be my answer. Yeah, (laughs) the holiday for sure. I feel like she should have because she's she's been in so many movies. Let's use the power of the internet. Looking over right now. The reader. <laughs> Whew. Oh, little children, duh. <laughs> uh, not eternal sunshine, even though that is a romance. Yeah, I don't really see. Oh God, she was in that collateral beauty Will Smith movie that Despite seeing the poster and trailers and TV spots, I had no idea what it was about. 13% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oof. No, I guess not. She's, she's mostly stayed away from from that type of, uh, I mean, yeah, romantic comedies. Because there's a, The Dressmaker is kind of a comedy and it's kind of a romance, but I wouldn't say it's a rom-com. I can't remember. Do you like Contagion? Yeah, 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 I do. She's really good in that. I've never seen Carnage, though, have you? Uh, I have. She's she's fine. She's good. The movie's not great. It's just, it's all taking place in that living room. Those four actors just kind of having it out. Uh, it's all right. You know, because they're good actors. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Revolutionary Road's pretty funny, but aside from that. <laughs> lots of rum, lots of calm. <laughs> I feel like we've kind of hit like the wall with what we can talk about with this. It's just so like, it's so bad. 
but has like these good parts to it that also often we find ourselves like, what happened? Where did this go wrong? And based on my research, the the novel's not really too much of a different story. It just comes to a point of like sometimes words on a paper just can't translate to live action. And the expression getting lost in a book does not work the same way as getting lost in a movie. And so like, I can just see like the pages, how much like how descriptive they are and like describing the food he's making and describing, you know, what the, the weather looks like outside and what the, you know, what they're wearing and that type of stuff, how her hair is. And like, I'm sure it's awesome for the people that want to read that, but that does not translate to a mainstream audience in a major motion picture. Josh Brolin and Kate Winslet do, but then people show up and like, what the fuck is this? And so, <laughs> yeah, I think it's easier. Uh, of course we haven't read the novel, but just coming soon oh. to after hours, <laughs> <laughs> the concerns book club. Uh, no, I, I just, in a book, it's a lot easier maybe to sell you this idea without it coming across as so silly because you can just really delve into their their thoughts, their inner monologues, whatever, and then you can really stretch those that weekend to where it feels like, you know, let's say that, you know, it takes you a week to read the book. And so it maybe it's a little easier to accept that that relationship, those connections, because it's taking you much longer to to digest them. But when you watch a movie, in less than two hours, you have to really buy that these people fall in love and it just, there's too many shortcuts there. Now, to me, Alex, the biggest mystery is just why Jason Reitman would make this movie. There's nothing in his previous filmography that would indicate that this is something that interests him, that that is you know similar to anything that he's done. Like None of his movies uh, are romantic in the way that this tries to be romantic and all of his movies even when they're kind of like stylized like like juno uh, i mean they they seem to be a lot more relatable to our reality than than labor day is <laughs> so is he doing somebody a favor i guess it's the studio telling him hey can you direct this except that it's written and directed by him like he, he wrote the adaptation so yeah like who th- who thinks it's a good idea? You know they see, thank you for smoking, uh, Juno up in the air, young adult. Hey, let's let's have this guy do uh, <laughs> Labor Day. That doesn't seem to match. So it makes me th- think like no, it's probably he wanted to do it. Uh, and then it's just why <laughs> is, is he is he a big softy? <laughs> This is this just what really what he'd been building up to. This is this is the one that he wanted, and he felt after four movies he was ready to tackle his very personal project. And again, uh, he's a director that you know it's not Woody Allen like that. He just has like this fucking rolodex of movies that he's made. It's uh, so it stands out like like oh so much sore thumb. And uh, <laughs> yeah, man, I don't know. Then you look at. I forgot he produced Jennifer's body and Chloe. Strange guy. Seems like. Um, <laughs> did you see the movie that he did after this one? Because I haven't, and I wanted to. It's a, an ensemble. Um, Men, women, and children. 
Yeah. I've never seen the trailer, but uh, I know it has Sandler in it. Maybe Jennifer Garner. Judy Greer. I'm in. All right. And then just on, recently. Uh, Pluto and Prime and Paramount Plus. So Okay. So it's it's very doable. <laughs> um, and then I know that he made the the latest uh, Ghostbusters. No, thank you. <laughs> you don't want to indulge in your in your nostalgia? Well, I've told you I don't have a nostalgia for Ghostbusters. I have a nostalgia for Ghostbusters toys. And I have uh like an eternal boner for Sigourney Weaver in Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> she like that is like peak all time hottie is her in Ghostbusters. But I don't have the same nostalgia like a lot of other people from our generation do for Ghostbusters. So I had no interest in doing the well, I doubt I'm gonna like it, so I'm gonna watch it type thing. Well, uh, Paul Rudd is in it, and Carrie Coon is in it. Kids, Carrie Coon? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I've heard that she's in more than one scene. But does she get third billing? Uh, that I don't know. I mean, that's there's some heavy hitters there. It's Paul Rudd, and there's the, the kid from Stranger Things. So I'm bored. Maybe, maybe she does get third billing, right under those two. Are those for her? Yeah. I had so many, I didn't know what to do with them. Thought your mother might like him. I meant to ask, what is your uh, favorite movie of his? Well, that's what I was gonna. I wanted to see because it might be that Labor Day was where I parted ways with with Mr. Reitman because I haven't seen the Ghostbusters either. So, oh no, I did watch Tully. Tully was uh, it didn't work for me, but it's better than Labor Day. Uh, okay. Easily, I mean, there's no question. Up in the air is just head and shoulders over everything he's made. Yeah, uh, and that's not because it's like good; it's because it's fucking great. And it's not yeah. like, uh, yeah, I don't want it to seem like we're praising it just because you know this other shit sucks. Yeah, uh, no, it it is a, a fantastic movie. It, I would say he peaked with Up in the Air, and then. I, I see. I haven't seen Thank You for Smoking in so long. Whereas, like Juno, I feel like I've seen ten it's times fine. already in my life. Yeah. <laughs> um, young Adult is good, not great. That was a come down after Up in the Air. I really, ha- I had really high hopes for Young Adult. And I remember watching it and thinking it didn't quite work, but it's still good. Um, I think he's like Shyamalan. Like his first four movies are just like to various degrees, but they're all good, and then. Yeah, I haven't seen Men, Women, and Children. Uh, Tully was kind of a misfire. And then Ghostbusters, I haven't seen yet. But yeah, up in the air, easily. Uh, if you are listening to this episode because you watched Labor Day and you haven't seen Up in the Air, well, <laughs> maybe you're, the biggest takeaway should be that uh, you should watch Up in the Air. I agree with that 100%. Also, if you haven't seen Up in the Air, you probably were a little confused by our Vera Farmiga, George Clooney jokes. In Concerns Corner. Um, all right. So, Julio, you get to rewrite this, repurpose this script. You get the same players and everything, but you're tasked with making it good. <laughs> but they want you to keep the same basic story of, like, he's an escaped convict that kidnaps her. 
they don't have to end up together necessarily. But what right, is this? Can, mo- I, can I change the tone? Can I can I pitch my my psychological thriller? Yeah, absolutely. I was just gonna say, you sit down with Kate Winslet and Josh Brolin and say, you know, you put the storyboard behind and the Tarantino scene in the Muppets Wizard of Oz. What are you telling them? <laughs> burn, baby, burn. <laughs> uh, no, I would tell them. All right, I know you've read the book because you both are. are good actors and you do your homework but forget about the book we're not doing this romance novel bullshit no we're going to explore uh just what desperation does to to people and desperation on both ends desperation on the side of this convict that feels like he's being unjustly treated by the system and he he will not go back to prison no matter what he's like uh the near and heat it's like no matter what happens, I'm not going to prison. Like that's <laughs> any other outcome, but I, I'm not going back. And so he and I like that he said in the movie at one point he told her, "I'm not going back," because that defined his character in a very uh, tough way. That then later doesn't pay off because he's, you know, overall he's he's kind of like a teddy bear in the movie. But but no, in in this version of the story, he's he's gonna be a son of a bitch. Because his his main concern is not falling in love or taking care of people. His his main concern is staying away from prison. And then you have the Kate Winslet character who is a recluse because she can't deal with the outside world because of all the bad things that have happened to her. And her son is her only connection to the the outside world. And I think that this is where we walk the fine line. Like she she starts off just trying to protect her son. And that's why she goes along with what this guy is doing, which is like, he'll just keep him hostage. He's like, I'm going to lay low in this house for a week. We're not going to give him the, the the out of like, oh, I'm leaving tomorrow. And then they just keep extending it. No, he's going to be like, it has to be a week because in a week, my buddy's going to come and pick me up. And uh, so we already have that timetable. And then she starts being really distrustful of him because of her son. But also... As the days go by, slowly, she grows to appreciate what else he has to offer. And not because he's mopping the floor or painting the walls or changing the light bulbs or whatever. No, just because, well, it's three people stuck in a in a house. They're not going out. So eventually they have to share, you know, their stories, their points of view or whatever. And, and maybe uh, she realizes that he it's not that he's a good influence on, his, on her son because he's the, the father that he doesn't have, but just because he is someone else that's not her that's providing like an outside perspective. And it doesn't have to be that they fall in love, but maybe there is a chemistry and they, they end up having sex halfway through the movie. And it's not that afterwards they're just cuddling for the rest of the movie, but instead it's like there's this awkwardness now where uh, now he feels like he can't necessarily treat her the way he was treating her before because now they've, you know, they've taken it to the next level. And she maybe feels like in doing that, she's put her son in danger. And and then, you know, there's awkwardness. I would say at the end of, of this version of the movie, they do not end together. Instead, he, uh, I think he has to make that decision that De Niro makes in Heat where he has to either go to the, to the girl that he's dating, the, the the woman that he's dating, or escape the police, and 
uh, brawling because this is not a romance novel story. He's going to choose, like De Niro, to just escape. He's going to leave her behind. And uh, and Winslet is going to be uh, hurt by that decision. But a, a part of her is going to know that uh, that it was, it was the right thing because they didn't have a future together. And that's it. And they treat it like a fling. But then Tobey Maguire's voiceover, you know, will provide extra context telling us that uh, ever since that day, mom was no longer afraid of going out. <laughs> and, you know, she, she went out to the bank on her own and went to the pharmacy on her own because this ordeal had kind of reinvigorated her and she had gained her confidence back. Uh, written and directed by David Fincher. Rob Zombie. <laughs> Rob Zombie would be like 20 minutes of the sex scene. No pie. I mean, there's nope. no pie in this version either. That's bullshit. The, the pie kills someone in his. <laughs> I like it. Uh, it work, That would work a lot better than what we, we ended up with here. So uh, it does look good. So I can't give it an F. But I'm going to go with a D. Like my letterbox score will be like a star. Uh, <laughs> I guess I can recommend it uh, uh, on the basis of the the novelty that it is of seeing it. Like, well, this is insane, but it's not a good movie. So I would go with a D. Where are you standing, Julio? Uh, one and a half. It, it's one and a half, which is my second one and a half in a row on the main feed. Uh, this is. Uh, it's just. It's just dumb. <laughs> and I'll repeat, no disrespect for uh, people that like romance novels and like this kind of story, because I think that most people, like I was saying earlier, most people that like this this type of fiction, they will upfront, you know, they'll be upfront and acknowledge that they know this is ridiculous. Oh, yeah. That, that's part of the fun. And, and that's, that's cool. I mean, you know, I like a lot of silly shit and I'll acknowledge it, but... It seems like uh, such a waste of resources to have such a good director, such a good cast, really overdo it in a story that's not worth anybody's time. You know, it's like, do this, this, you know. Okay, if you're not going to go direct to video, direct to streaming now, I don't know, you know, make it make it a little more on the cheap side. <laughs> and then everybody's happy. How much money did this movie make? Uh, $20 million. On a budget of what? Eighteen. Okay, so, I mean, you know, maybe slice the budget in half, and uh, maybe James Bonderby can play the, the convict. And, Hell yeah. Uh, what's the name of, uh, is it Mika, the, the It Follows actress? Uh, Micah Monroe. Micah Monroe can play the the woman that, you know, she'll be a younger mom in this case, but... Uh, and then, you know, you already lowered your budget, lowered your expectations. And you can get, I don't know, Kevin Smith to direct it. <laughs> he knows how to work with, uh, you know, within a small budget. Well, you lost me there, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, one and a half. I, I do not. I, I agree that there's a novelty aspect to it that would make me tell people, oh, you kind of have to see this, but I would say don't pay for it. If it's already streaming on a service that you have, then go for it. Don't rent this. Uh, don't buy it. 
maybe look up some clips on YouTube. Although I think that in order to get the full effect, you have to watch it beginning to end yeah. <laughs> just to see <laughs> how it all... Because I think if you watch one scene uh, in isolation, you could be misguided, misled into thinking that, oh, within context, this makes sense. <laughs> when that's not the case at all. Dear Henry, I hope you will remember me. We once spent Labor Day weekend together. Five of the best days of my life. All right, Julius, you mentioned that's two star and a halfers in a row. So I hope we break this streak with our upcoming episode. What are we going to be tackling next? Well, the final head in our Mont Rushmore asterisk, uh, and that is a head that's that's been part of the Contrarians before. This is... Uh, I mean, fuck, I just mentioned him five minutes ago. Robert De Niro comes back to the Contrarians. We had him in our first year of podcasting when we did Taxi Driver. Then on the Patreon feed, we did The King of Comedy. He might have popped up on something else in a supporting role, something else that we've done. Uh, and, you know, we we talk De Niro all the time. We bring him up all the time because he's one of those actors. And so we're going to tackle one of his most iconic roles, one of his most iconic movies. We gotta do good fellas. It's time. It is time. We're closing big. This is uh obviously fresh. <laughs> and uh it's uh it's gonna be the third Scorsese movie that we've discussed. You know, like I said, Taxi Driver and King of Comedy are are in the books. I'm looking forward to it. That's gonna be a an undertaking, I tell you what. Yeah, I I look forward to you seeing the light and finally realizing that Goodfellas is better than Casino. Well, I don't know about that, but <laughs> I guess we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But uh, for now, we got anything else left to do or are we going to head for the Canadian border? It's time to head to the Canadian border because, you know, apparently they you don't need a passport to get there. Socialized medicine, baby. It's the way to go. <laughs> All right, so in closing, we'll start off by giving thanks to the Festive Years. They provide our opening and closing tracks, kick us off with Last Stand, take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all Festive Years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Rothgieser is the man behind our logo, all the graphics on our webpage, our Patreon page, our merch page, that little tomato looking at itself in the mirror, that tomato doing anything that's usually uh, the work of hans so if you like his work check out his webpage mildemonios.pe that's m-i-l-d-m-o-n-i-o-s.pe where you can uh look at things that he's writing he he writes uh, a lot of novels fantasy novels zombie novels uh, he has two podcasts nacion combi which is about proving career affairs and marginal which is about economy and of course he's he's an artist so uh Reach out to him, uh, Mildemonios at hotmail.com or at Mildemonios on Twitter and uh, tell him if you'd like uh, a drawing, a logo, a, a comic book, or, or just if you just want to say hi. He's uh, a pretty friendly guy. Hans, thank you for all your support. Head over to latenightgrin.com for any and all pro wrestling needs. As I say, they cover movies from time to time as well. A lot of crazy shit going on in the world of professional wrestling. It is WrestleMania season after all. We're ramping up for it. So, Joe, Oracle, Bob, Matt, and all the boys over at LateNightGrin.com. Continue to keep up the good work. And we don't have to tell her twice. She does She does better than good. She does exceptional work. And that is Zoe Perez, our social media guru, our social media czar. 
Facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime on YouTube. YouTube.com slash at Contrarian Prime on Instagram at Contrarian Prime. Zoe puts together one hell of a portfolio for us on our social media game. So, Zoe, we appreciate the work you do for us. Keep it up uh, now and forever because Julio and I would lose track of it and not be able to do it as well as you do. So, thank you so much for that. And thank you so much for you, our adoring listening public, for celebrating Labor Day in January with us. That's uh, <laughs> unique but i'm glad we got that done we do hope you all enjoyed it but that's going to do it for this episode of us here on the contrarians where we're right and you're wrong and we'll see you next time it's in the dark.